Welcome back to the TD Jakes Podcast. In this episode, Bishop Jakes sits down with his daughter, Sarah Jakes Roberts, in the first part of their exclusive sit-down conversation, What It's Like Growing Up Jakes. It's a fascinating conversation, but if you'd rather not wait two weeks to catch the second part, head over to bishopsvillage.com and become a member, where you'll be able to access that and so much more. We only launched this streaming channel in February, and already we've poured into folks with over 150 exclusive teaching series and masterclasses on topics ranging from life after divorce, starting a business, getting ahead in your career, and so much more. One last point, super important. We've actually made our three most recent conferences, Pisgah, Project Gideon, and the International Pastors and Leadership Conference exclusively available in the village. Start your free trial today at bishopsvillage.com. Well, it's exciting to get an opportunity to talk to you and to allow other people to eavesdrop on our conversation. We're talking a little bit about what it's like growing up Jake's, and I thought to myself, it depends on what age or stage we talk about what that meant. If I were talking to the eight-year-old you, it would be totally different from the 15-year-old you, from the now adult mother, wife you. In your view, from your perspective, as you look back on growing up, as a Jakes, what was that like for you? I think when we were going through it, we had nothing else to compare it to, so it was just our reality. Uh, as I look back on it, though, I realized that we got to have an intimate view of what would ultimately become a historical name and family in faith and entertainment. And I'm not sure that we realized then just the weight of what was taking place in front of our very eyes that much like Dr. King's children must have felt that we were watching you pioneer a new way of ministry. I think because we were children and we were just living in our microcosms, all we could see were the challenges, not fitting in, not having anyone to relate to, wondering where we fit in such a grand plan as our ministry evolved. But I look back now and I feel fortunate because I realized the very thing that I thought isolated me from everyone else is ultimately what cultivated me so that I could be different from everyone else now in my career. That learning how you think, learning how you address certain things, what was my norm, I realized now as I take my own meetings or plan my own sermons, was actually very, very special. A very unique trail that exists in the earth now that we honestly took for granted because we just saw it as normal. Well, you know, the funny thing about it, when people look at me, they see Bishop Jakes or they see a a film producer or they see a CEO. But when I came home at night, you all didn't see me as Bishop Jakes or CEO. I was just daddy, you know, and uh, daddy and mama coming home. We never saw you as Bishop Jakes until you were Bishop Jakes. So, like, seeing you on the cover of Time Magazine, it kind of clicked like, oh, the man who walks around in the road making us chicken and pound cakes, like, people really care what he says. They care what he thinks because we literally never saw it like that when they their experiences with me about, you know, when my father made us do Bible study every single night and now I resent the church because I felt like it was forced on me. We didn't have any of those experiences. And of course we had life challenges, but ultimately when our relationships with God became real, it wasn't because it was pressured on us because of who we were, because you all gave us room to have intimate encounters with God outside of our realms of home. 
It wasn't like you forced it on us. You know, it was important to me that I gave my family a family to give some distinction between being at church and being at home. I think so many pastors and or leaders bring who they are at work home to the point that they turn their children into congregants. I didn't want to so saturate you with uh, Sunday morning experiences that you were denied having the dad in, somebody who walked around. I'm glad you didn't describe my robe too much, robe and raggedy socks and and, 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 and some of the, I pick out like the worst outfits in the world to wear when I get home. Next book. I'm going to wait. Oh, God. Now now I'm getting blackmailed by my daughter. (laughs) But, you know, to give you that sense of family and home was very, very important. To see how you have evolved as a father is absolutely amazing. To see little Sarah turn into a speaker and an, an author and a first lady to be in demand around the country on your own, going out to do the very thing that you criticize me about, traveling all the time and speaking and living out of suitcases, you're doing that. How did that evolution come in your life where you begin to say, this is not just something daddy does, this is a call on my life as well? Yeah. Um, I think it came in steps. I I know people are always wondering, you know, maybe they're having challenges with their children and they're like, you know, what's going to be the turning point? And I think that some turns happen instantly and others are a gradual surveying the land, turning the wheel, and then finally finding your space and making that U-turn. For me, I think it happened when I realized that the very thing that I'd heard my entire life, woman thou art loose, was not just something that you were saying to other women in arenas, but it was something that was applicable to me and my life. And so the moment that I decided that I didn't want to keep paying for the same mistake over and over again mentally, I didn't want to feel like I was stifled on who I could become because of what I had experienced. That moment really changed my life. And it happened so organically that I can't even say it was intentional from the offset. Mm -hmm. What did become intentional was as people began to ask me to speak and share my story, I realized that I had a responsibility to not just have a gift, but to cultivate that gift, to study, to research, to really bring all that I have into the moment that God had prepared me for. And I think that as I began to take that call more seriously, that there was this evolution where I wasn't, there's so many gifted, talented people in this world, right? Like everyone is literally born with a purpose a gift, a divine destiny, but what separates them from other people who take responsibility for that gift is how they cultivate it. And as I really begin to cultivate that gift, I realize that evolution is a necessary function of life. Right now, even in this conversation, we're evolving. Hairs are turning gray, cells are degenerating. We're evolving constantly biologically. So why not bring our spirits, our minds, a part of that evolution and really see if we can max out the potential of who we can become. That's very profound. It's also very, very true. When you look at, you've got at least two streams contributing to you, not only genetically, but in your development, in your growth, in your emergence as the woman that you are today. What do you think your mother gave you? And what do you think that I gave you? Can you quantify or divide what came from where, or does it all merge together into one experience? 
First of all, let's be honest. The fact that I have both of you living inside of me means I should be bipolar, but by the <laughs> grace of God, <laughs> there's been some level of separation. Yeah, because we couldn't be any more different, your mother and I. <laughs> if I had to say, I think that I think like you and present like my mother. I think that's true. I think that's yeah. very true. What do you think that you learned from your mother that has affected your expression of womanhood, of femininity? Man, that's it. Mom is everything graceful. She is everything pensive and thoughtful. Words don't just come out of her mouth. They're well thought out. They're carefully delivered. And I think that that has become so much of who I am as a woman. As I speak to my children, as my husband and I have pillow talk, I realize that I can't just say anything that pops into my head, that I need to say it in a way that reaches who they are, that elevates them, that supports them, and is said in love. And mom laces everything in love, from what she wears, from how she cares about herself. It's all laced in love. And I think the product of that is that you don't just have encounters with people, you have moments. You have these moments where in just a three-minute conversation, you feel like you were with a friend, you were with someone who understands what you've gone through. I mean, I've seen people in the grocery store just want to lay their head on mom's lap (laughs) because she has this warmth about her that says, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've faced, it doesn't matter, I love you. And for me, she is the physical manifestation of love. Of a different kind of love, because I think you are too, but she is um, the kind of love that meets you right where you are and says you don't have to change at all. And for me, I think that you say, I'm going to meet you right where you are, but I see too much potential in you to leave you there. So let's challenge you to grow. Let me break you out of your comfort zone, lose the attitude, get a grip. We got something (laughs) to do, and you have a world to change. I have to stop and laugh because that is so true. That is so true. And this is something that I think that you really taught me. I don't think that I knew until I started raising you and Cora how important a father is to a daughter. Because I've never been a daughter, I've only been a son. I knew how important a man was in the life of a boy. But I kind of thought, you deal with the guys, let her deal with the girls and, and that sort of thing. But when I started raising you all, I soon realized that my participation in that was very, very important for your self-esteem, for your understanding of what masculinity is and how different we are and how we communicate. All of that, the funny thing about raising children is that the parents are are growing too. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's not just the kid that's growing, you're growing too. And by the time you really figure out how to do it, the process is over. But what do you think that you got from me as a father not so much the preacher or the business, but as a father. And what did you learn about men as a result of living in the house with me? I don't think that I fully understood what I got from you until I was in my previous bad marriage. Mm-hmm. Because I thought that being a man literally just meant having the physical attributes of being a man. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was in that situation where I realized my definition of manhood is different than what I'm currently experiencing. And as I began to retrace my definition of manhood, for me, I realized that 
outside of a pastor and even a provider, that there is a covering that comes when you have a father. A covering that says, if you're in a car accident, all you have to do is call me and I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. If there's a mouse in the house, all you have to do is get me and I'll be. There is this sense of security and protection and guidance, just leadership, just leadership of our home that we're going to make a decision. And regardless of what happens, because I've made this decision, I'm going to see us through. And I think that that commitment and loyalty that comes with manhood, as I've come to know it, is just irreplaceable in the life of a woman or a young girl. I think that, of course, because there's been so many different you know, instances and in families where women have been let down or men haven't exactly known what to do, that women have taken on this notion that they don't really fully understand the value of having a male in their life because they've been disappointed so many times. But when you have the right kind of men in your life, you have a partner in life. You have a partner who says no matter what happens with the kids, we'll figure it out, and you can trust that. They're not just words. You can trust that. I cannot be more grateful for what you have shown me as the definition of manhood. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of times is most women who were not raised with a man in the house, when they do get a man, they kind of talk to the man like he's a woman in a pair of pants. But communicating with men and men's communication is different from how women communicate amongst themselves. For example, there are certain things that you talk to your mother about and I will hear about down the road or may not hear about at all. And there are certain things you'll go directly to me about and not necessarily talk to her about. Let's talk a little bit about understanding how we communicate, how we express love. Because, you know, you and I talk about, we can look at each other and talk. We don't, we don't even have to say anything all the time. There's such a, a deep understanding. How did that happen for you? Oh, learning the difference in how you communicate. It was challenging as a teenager because I felt like you were being so hard on me. Mm-hmm. And that you were seeing something in me that I just couldn't connect the dots with. Mm-hmm. And so I think that your communication awakened the side of me that said, he sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And you have to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And once you figure out what that is, you have to protect it. And I think that even as I'm married now, that when my husband says certain things, because I've been raised by you, I realize that I have to tell myself, like, he's being vulnerable in this moment. Because I expect for men to, like, when women need to talk, we say, we need to talk. This is going to be serious. and this, But men will just say it. And so what he has just said may be the most vulnerable, intimate part of his heart. But because there was no grand presentation, I don't necessarily always take that to mean, like, this was a moment. And so I've had to really pray (laughs) and ask God to make me sensitive to when my husband is being vulnerable because mom and I, I mean, we can talk about everything from what the teacher said in Malachi school Mm -hmm. and, you know, his friend's drama and girl who's this and girl's that. Like we can just talk about the smallest things, but when you and I have a conversation, something's going on. Something's important. Yeah, it's important. That's how I see it too. You know, when you come to me, I know it's important. I know it's serious. I know that you've given it thought and you wouldn't come to me if you didn't think that it was important. And it immediately arrests me and gets my attention because we have those kinds of dialogues. It's funny because 
what started out as me being demanding was really the fact that I always believed in you. I always believed in you. I believed in you when you didn't believe in you. And my, my bar and my expectations were high. And I was outspoken about it and aggressive about it because I knew it was in there. And I wasn't going to stop till I got it out. To see that come out is the seventh wonder of the world because I knew it was in. You can only bring out of you what's in you. And I knew, I knew, I knew. Maybe as only a father can know that it's in you. I think that a lot of people never reach what they could have reached because nobody believed in them like that. But I believed in you. When you say I believe in you, it sounds really good. But when you're growing up with it, it doesn't feel really good because I was demanding my criteria were high. My expectation of you was to be exceptional. But when a man demands exceptionalism, it's really praise because I wouldn't ask it if I didn't see it. I wouldn't expect it if I didn't know it was there. And to live long enough to get to see it come out, you know, I, it, it makes you proud. It also makes you want to say, I told you, I told you, because <laughs> yeah, I told you so. Because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I know that it is an endless fountain, an artesian well, that there is no measuring the depths of greatness that I believe is inside of each of you. And as you get the courage to come into agreement, and, and isn't that kind of like with God? I'm not comparing myself to God, but he sees stuff in all of us. And when we begin to agree with him, rather than say, oh, no, 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 and we start agreeing with, then that well starts to spring up out of us and we start to see what was in us all the time. Well, I mean, I know you're not comparing yourself to God, but I do think that that is love, and God is love. That is the manifestation of divinity, and I think a father sees you, and a mother feels you, and I think it takes the two of them to give you this representation of who God is. When done right, and I know not everyone has that experience, but for me, the love that you all have shown me as parents was the first thing that led me back to God. It wasn't necessarily that when I was lost and confused that I said, let me turn to my Bible, the answers are going to be in here. So let me turn to my parents. Mm -hmm. And because my parents managed to get past their own insecurities, their own flaws, their own generational whatever, and decide to love me authentically, it made me curious about how they had this well of love that they were able to continue to pour out in spite of what I did, in spite of the choices I made, in spite of how I felt about myself, they still saw me in the highest version of who I could become. And ultimately, I do believe that that's how God sees us that in spite of our flaws, in spite of our mistakes and detours, that he still sees us at our highest potential and he's willing to forgive every twist and turn that it took for us to get there because what's in us is so much more valuable than what's happened to us. Mm -hmm.